0: Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Wednesday, February 16th. Coming up on the show today, we will discuss the big rivalry between Tennessee and Kentucky in college basketball. We've got the Preds welcoming Peter LaViolette back to Bridgestone Arena. We have your Nashville SC Golden Nuggets from the guys over at Club and Country. But we begin with one final note about the evolution of the Tennessee Titans. The 440 This Week is brought to you by Our Kids, the Soup Sunday event coming up February 20th. That's this Sunday at Nissan Stadium. Tickets are on sale, ourkidscenter.com. It is dozens of chefs competing to try to create the best possible soup in Nashville and all of the money, all the proceeds go, of course, to benefit Our Kids and the Our Kids Foundation. It's a group of amazing folks that take care of Middle Tennessee children who are involved in in sexual abuse. So make sure you check it out. OurKidsCenter.com is the website. There are limited tickets available. It is a fantastic event. Great fun for all ages. Make sure you check that out. And special thanks to Kingston Group for donating the time on the show today. That's OurKidsCenter.com for Soup Sunday tickets coming up this Sunday, February 20th. So, obviously, we've talked a lot of Tennessee Titans on the show this week. Go check out our episode with Zach Lyons yesterday as we sort of did a long-form episode. We might be doing a little bit more of that on the show uh, coming up in the near future. But we're going to focus on Peter Laviolette's return to Bridgestone Arena, the huge Kentucky-Tennessee game. Got some Nashville SC news for you as well. So, we've got a lot of other stuff on the show today. But I wanted to throw one, maybe a theory about the Tennessee Titans out there, and college football fans are going to follow me here pretty easily. I'm curious if this Tennessee Titans team is simply – right where Alabama was prior to Lane Kiffin and the offensive evolution. Zach made a great point yesterday on the show about how running the football in the Super Bowl has just not worked over the last 20 years. And we certainly know in the college game that it is almost exclusively still about spreading it out on offense, using a superstar quarterback, and slinging it all over the place, stretching the field vertically and horizontally. Yes, defenses can still win championships. We just saw that with Georgia. But aren't they the exception to the rule since Nick Saban changed the way he recruited defensive players and the way he focused on offense. He evolved his offense, he evolved his defense to match up with the spread around that 2011-2012 period of time there. He stopped recruiting 300-pound defensive linemen and he started playing a game in space. And it has worked and And Alabama has been the most dominant program. So I'm just, I'm just curious, because I believe in Mike Vrabel and because I believe in John Robinson and because I believe in their identity and their philosophy and the way they go about building their team and executing their game plan week in and week out. I'm just curious if there needs to be an evolution. Is Tim Kelly, the new passing game coordinator that's going to work with Todd Downing, is that the guy, is he the thing that allows this offense to evolve? I don't think they need to break away from their identity and become somebody different. I don't want them turning into the Chiefs. That's not who they are. I like the way they play the game, and it has been very successful. But could they tweak it? Can it evolve? Can it become a more balanced approach where A.J. Brown, of course, is featured more or as much as Derrick Henry? And I just it just reminds me of 2011 Alabama. And Georgia broke that mold. Georgia broke through and won a championship playing a 2011 Alabama style of game. But they're the only team to do it in the last 10 years. That The NFL has gone this direction. It is about Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Joe Burrow and having a third wide receiver that is elite. And I'm just curious... If we need to see this Titans team, much like we saw Alabama when they hired Lane Kiffin to change the offense, is Tim Kelly capable of doing that thing for this franchise? And if they do, and A.J. Brown becomes a bigger part of the offense, he stays healthy, they invest in some other pieces, Derrick Henry doesn't have to be the only thing this team is built around. And everything else doesn't have to change. The defense can stay the same. The physicality, the offensive line, the trench warfare it can all stay the same if you just make a couple of small tweaks like Nick Saban did back in Alabama about a decade ago. All right, let's just be very honest, kids. Earmuffs, by the way, parents. Because we'll get into a lot of things about Tennessee and Kentucky in terms of the rivalry and what it means for the March and, and their resume and their seating and all that great stuff. However, I could say a lot of stats or a lot of data, field goal percentage defense and offense and fast break points and turnovers. Or I could just say this. Again, earmuffs. When Tennessee and Kentucky played in Rupp Arena, Kentucky whipped that ass. It was arguably the best performance a John Calipari basketball team has ever put together against a high-quality Tennessee team. Trust me, Kentucky's beaten them many, many times. But not like that, not against a good Tennessee team. Well... Kentucky went into Thompson Bowling Arena on Tuesday evening, and Tennessee whipped that ass. That's right, they've played twice, and both times, the home team absolutely dominated. Rick Barnes' squad played one of their best games of the entire season in the 76-63 win over Big Blue in Knoxville on Tuesday night. It was Tennessee's eighth straight SEC win, moving UT to 10-3 on the season in conference play. The defense was excellent, physical and demanding all night in typical UT fashion. Tie Tie Washington did not play at all in the second half for Kentucky, certainly impacting the game, although the home crowd was amazing and Kentucky was never really in it. The win once again proves that this Tennessee team is capable of beating any college basketball team on the planet. Not only has this team challenged itself in a huge way, but it has been successful in those situations. The number of elite wins this team has already put on its resume, Arizona, North Carolina, and now Kentucky, means that the committee is going to love their resume come March. The Vols stub their toe at the start of conference play against quality teams on the road and in one case against Bama without two of their best and most important players. Otherwise, the win on Tuesday proves yet again that this team should be in every single game that it plays coming up in March. Expectations should only continue to build for Rick Barnes who's had one hell of a regular season run in Knoxville over the last half decade. He just needs one of those runs to happen in March now. And the current eight-game SEC winning streak will get a huge test the next two weekends. The Vols will go on the road on Saturday to face number 23 Arkansas in what is a massively important game in the SEC standings, and then a home game against Bruce Pearl and No. 2 Auburn looms the following weekend. Meanwhile, up in Lexington, this loss doesn't actually mean anything other than pride for the Cats. Being the one seed or the two seed, I guess, in the SEC tournament doesn't mean a whole lot when you've got a clear path to a one seed in the big dance in March. I've said it a hundred times. I think this is one of John Calipari's best Kentucky teams ever. Not one of the most talented, although they're plenty talented, but it's one of his best. And tangibly, nothing actually changes about this team or its expectations with the loss on Tuesday. Big Blue Nation will host number 25 Alabama at noon on CBS on Saturday. The Nashville Predators welcomed Peter Laviolette back to Bridgestone Arena on Tuesday night and the team did its best job to be hospitable to their former coach in a 4-1 to loss. To be honest with you about the actual tribute and his actual return to Bridgestone Arena, I actually just don't care. If you if you love the tribute and you want to cheer him on, great, cool, you're entitled to that reaction. If you don't really care and you want to move on, I think that's fine too and that's a totally normal reaction. The Washington Capitals dominated the first and third periods to give their coach a win against his former team, and it it certainly helps when the Nashville Predators hit about a half a dozen posts and took way too many bad penalties. For the Preds, it is their third straight loss since returning to action following the All-Star break two weekends ago, and the combined score in those games hasn't really been close. The Preds, with UC Sorrow starting all three games, have given up 13 goals, Two or three of which might entirely have been Dante Fabro's fault altogether. Nashville is now 4, 6, and 2 over their last 12 games, a span that includes the team's two worst losing streaks of the season. David Poyle has recently been positive about negotiations with Philip Forsberg in public, and fans and media alike have been asking questions about whether this team should actually improve at the deadline, that the Nashville Predators should be buyers. I'm not sure I agree with any of that, and we will discuss it at length and much further on the Gold Standard Podcast coming out on Thursday. However, John Hines has this team way ahead of schedule, even if they are still very clearly a third-place team. I'll give you second place at best if everything goes their way over the last few months, which one of those months, of course, will include 14 games in 27 days. Fans should be excited, interested, and invested in this Predators team over the next few months. We should turn back into a hockey town for a period of time. But fans also shouldn't get too far over their skis with championship talk, buying at the trade deadline, or overpaying for Forsberg during a contract season. All important things to keep in mind. Next up, Nashville travels to Carolina on Friday night. It is Wednesday, and that means it's time for golden nuggets from the guys, Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan, over at the Club and Country Podcast, covering Nashville SC. Preseason's underway. We actually have some results. And next Sunday, the 27th, will be the first game of the third season of MLS soccer. And today on your Golden Nuggets, trying to make you guys smarter soccer fans, Wes and Tim talk about Ake Loba, the highest paid transfer ever in the history of the MLS, delivered in a big way in his first preseason game. Here is what Wes and Tim had to say about the star striker and Gary Smith's comments on the striker as well. What did we learn from Nashville SC's 3-1 preseason win over Charlotte? First and probably most importantly, Ake Loba looked brighter than ever in the friendly, according to Gary Smith. Here is what the manager said about Loba and his performance up top in that first half.
1: We've now got a player who I think in the offseason has worked very, very hard. He's come back in in great shape, and you can see that in the games. As far as the connections, his assists, it wasn't just the assists. He actually worked two or three other fantastic opportunities could have had a goal himself and was very unselfish and tried to square it. Um, I don't think it would be um, wrong of me to say that it's probably his brightest 45 minutes um, that I've seen. And I think if we look back as far as, um, you know, Cincinnati when he scored and made a wonderful impact in the game, this was, this was more like the Aki that we all expected. And now it's time for some consistency, to keep working at that, to keep layering that, that information and, and connection into to hopefully you know what he's going to be able to do for the group.
0: So, Tim, that's two assists for Loba in the first friendly. He's making a case to nail down a spot up top, and it sounds like at least for the 45 minutes we can judge a lot of optimism around his early performance. The hope has always been that he'd take that second-year leap we saw with Hany Mukhtar, and to a lesser extent, Jean Dracatis last year before his ill-fated stint with the Venezuelan national team essentially ended his his Nashville SC career for all practical purposes. So Loba's going to get every opportunity to prove or disprove that he has made that a second-year leap. He's going to get those chances on the field, and he seems to be getting closer to exactly what we expected of him, and if that's the case, then this could be a really special attack. If you would like to get prepared for the third season of MLS soccer in Nashville, cannot believe I've even been saying that, Make sure you are subscribed to the Club and Country podcast covering Nashville SC. Wes and Tim do an amazing job out every single Tuesday, everywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, as a reminder, make sure you go check out OurKidsCenter.com. The Kingston Group is donating its time on this show this week to make sure you know about the Our Kids Soup Sunday event. Coming up this weekend, February 20th on Sunday at Nissan Stadium dozens of the best chefs in Nashville competing to try to create the best possible soups in the city. And it's all the money goes to help children of middle Tennessee. So check out our kids, check out the website, check out what they do. Ourkidscenter.com is where you can get your tickets. That's coming up this Sunday at Nissan stadium. Thank you guys all for listening. Make sure you check out the YouTube, of course, 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook as well. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Again, thank you guys all for listening. Please share the show. This has been the 440 for Wednesday, February 16th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media. Written and produced by Braden Gall. Music by William Tyler.